eight. Thinking this morning from Luke chapter 9. If you want to follow um, in the Bibles in the pews, it's on page uh, 1040. Uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. I'm not going to do what I normally do, which is read the passage and then talk about it. I'm actually going to go through it, and as I go through it, um, draw out some thoughts um, from uh, what's going on. So, uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them, even as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. As the time approached for him to be taken up to uh, heaven, Jesus set out for uh, Jerusalem. This is towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been uh, preaching and teaching and leading the disciples for uh, three years. He's gathered a a small band around him and they've seen all that he has uh, been doing. And he's heading to Jerusalem. It says here the time for him to be taken up to heaven, but of course we know what that means. And Jesus uh, knew what that meant too, and the disciples had an inkling of what that meant. It meant that he was going to Jerusalem where he would face a trial and then be crucified, and then die and be buried, and three days later rise again. Jesus is travelling through uh, Samaria, and it's a place that he is familiar with. Uh, It's a place that he's travelled through uh, many times before, where Jesus has had uh, some of his most memorable um, encounters, none more so than what we read about in John chapter 4, where he meets the Samaritan woman uh, by the well. And in that story, if you remember, they have a a conversation uh, about water and the well and worship and who you should worship and how you should worship. And uh, Jesus uh, tells the woman that he, he knows something about her life, uh, that who she's living with isn't a husband, and she's had uh, many partners before. And uh, in a moment, she's converted. And she, she runs back to her village, uh, her Samaritan village, and she says, come, come and see somebody who's told me everything that I ever did. Come and, come and see the Messiah, the promised one. And we read that uh, many in that village came to faith. So you get the impression that this is is somewhere where Jesus knows uh, and is known. And I wonder if uh, when he sends on his disciples ahead to get things uh, things ready, he's probably expecting a warm welcome, uh, that uh, lodgings will be provided in the house, and they'll have somewhere to be put up. Uh, But this is not the case. The people there did not welcome him. 
I wonder if you've ever thought it must have been <clears throat> so much easier being a disciple of Jesus uh, back in Jesus' day. I mean, imagine walking around with him and Jesus is healing and Jesus is teaching and Jesus is raising people for the dead. Uh, eyes that are blind, he's opening. People who are uh, crippled, he's enabling uh, to walk. He's challenged uh, in public debate and he wins every time. He shows real wisdom and insight. The power of God is with him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. How much easier it must have been to be a Christian in Jesus' day, to be a follower of him when he's doing this. I mean, people must have been just falling over themselves uh, to follow him. Well, not really. Not quite the case. Certainly not in this uh, village in Samaria. Just as hard in Jesus' day as it is today. James and John, uh, we read in other gospel passages, their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. Uh, Fiery characters, hot-headed, are dismayed at the response of the village. And so they say to Jesus, uh, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven? Shall we destroy them? Shall we uh, blast them off the face of the earth? And Jesus replies, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they moved on to another village. In the Old Testament, you can read the story in 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah the prophet really did call down uh, fire from heaven on his enemies. Jesus says, that isn't my way. And that isn't to be the way of my disciples. That's not what you're to do with those who reject me. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save people's lives. And so they move on to another village. And then we find out something else, or something more, about the cost of following Jesus. Reading on verse 57. Uh, There's three encounters here, three uh, different men who meet with Jesus and where he explains to them uh, the cost of following him, the the cost of discipleship, what it means to be uh, a follower, a believer in Jesus, what the implications of that, uh, what it looks like for them. And uh, by understanding what it looks like for them, we can understand something of what it looks like for us too. The first man he meets, I'm going to call the crowd follower. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In each of these conversations, there's what's said and what's unsaid. There's the words that come out of the mouth and then there's the the attitude of heart that is behind those words. And of course, Jesus, as he so often did, sees beyond the words and sees into the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, the Old Testament tells us. And so it is with Jesus. So in each of his responses, Jesus is responding not just to the words that are said, but the attitude that is behind those words. 
So I've called this, this man the crowd follower. I will follow you, he says. One of the things that strikes you as you look through the Gospels, perhaps as you read through a whole Gospel uh, in one sitting, is the different ways in which people come to faith in Christ, become followers of Jesus. And generally there's two kind of ways that this happens. One is Jesus takes the initiative. Time and again we see Jesus just walking up to somebody and saying, you come and follow me. Sometimes we know there's been a bit of history there. These are people that Jesus knows, knows quite well. He's had conversations with before. And uh, now is the moment and he calls them. He says, you come, you come and follow me. Think of the disciples uh, in, the, in the boats. They've been uh, fishing all night. They've not been getting anywhere. They've failed. And Jesus meets them in the morning and says, uh, throw out your nets on the other side. They catch a load of fish and he says, come and follow me. And they leave their nets and they follow him. Think of uh, Levi, the tax collector, uh, sitting at his booth in, in the marketplace. And Jesus comes up and says, come, come and follow me. And Matthew, uh, Levi, who changes his name to Matthew, comes and follows Jesus. That's not the case with this guy. This guy sees Jesus walking along the road, and he sees a crowd of disciples walking along with him, and he says, I, I will follow you. The second way that we see people encountering Jesus is when they're, they're in real need, deep need, and they call out to Jesus for help, for rescue, for compassion. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. If I can only just grab hold of his cloak, if I can only just get hold of his, of his garment. And she touches him and Jesus turns around and says, who's done this? And, and pulls her out of the, of the crowd. Because the blind uh, man sat in the marketplace, knows Jesus is walking by and, and cries out, Lord Jesus, have, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heals him. Think of the paralysed man, so desperate, his friends bring him to the house uh, Jesus is staying in and, and dig through the roof and lower him down. And uh, Jesus declares, your sins are forgiven. People who are in desperate need, who call out to Jesus for salvation, for healing, for wholeness. That's not what this man does either. Sees them walking along the road, and he says, I I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you go. This is the crowd follower. Perhaps he's heard about Jesus. Perhaps he knows the stories. Perhaps he's heard the sensational tales. Perhaps he's stood at the back in the marketplace and heard some of the teachers. Oh, this sounds a bit interesting. He sounds like a nice chap. I'd like to find out a bit more. I'll, I'll tag along with these guys. It looks like it will be fun. And Jesus doesn't reject him. But he sees into his heart and he explains to him what kind of saviour he is. Perhaps he's thought that Jesus is a bit like a politician. He wants to get as many people as he can to to sign up on his side. 
uh, to pledge uh, for him, to sign the box uh, for him, to be a part of uh, his camp. Perhaps that's the kind of uh, saviour Jesus is, a political figure with a, with a big party behind him who's going to sweep all before him. Perhaps he thinks Jesus is a kind of uh, saviour, a bit like a military leader with a big army. He's going to get a huge crowd to follow him and by force of numbers and force of arms he's going to impose his kingdom and he wants to be on the the winning side. Perhaps that's the kind of saviour Jesus is. Jesus says, I'm not that kind of saviour and I don't want followers who want to be that kind of follower. He wants to be part of the crowd who wants to always be on the winning side. Jesus says, I'm not going to have... uh, a place to lay my head. I'm going to travel alone along, along this road. Jesus is going to conquer by laying down his life. Jesus is going to call people to follow him through being a stone which is rejected. And Jesus wants to know, will you follow that kind of saviour? Will you follow the kind of saviour who will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Who will be silent before his accusers in a trial and will allow himself to be lifted up upon a cross? Jesus says, that's the kind of saviour I'm going to be. Will you follow that kind of saviour? Jesus always outlines the cost of following him. If any If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and come after me. So we come to the second man. This time Jesus does take the initiative, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm going to call this man the procrastinator. The procrastinator. Both of the next two guys, both say, I will, but. I will, but. I will follow you, Jesus, but first, I've got something more important to do. And in saying that reveals that they don't really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There can be no but first with Jesus. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. To be a follower of him is to say, I will put you first. I will put you first in all things. I will put you first at all times. I will put you first in all places. It's to say, Jesus, you have first call upon me, upon my loyalties, upon my heart, upon my will, upon my resources. To be a follower of Jesus, say, I will lay everything down for you, because Jesus, you've laid everything down for me. When you died upon a cross, you gave everything for me. And being a follower of Jesus, to say, I will give everything for you in return. The procrastinator says, I will follow you, but first I've got something more important to do. I've got someone more important to look after. I've got something more important that needs to be uh, accomplished. 
I will follow you, Jesus, but I'll, I'll follow you when I don't have the same responsibilities that I have now. I'll follow you when my, 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 my job is more secure. I will follow you when the children have left home and gone to university. I will follow you when my finances are in a better shape. I will follow you when I feel a bit better or my health has, has got to a better place. I will follow you, but first, I need to sort this out. And Jesus says, I want to help you sort this out now. And the only way I can help you sort this out, whatever it is, is by you putting me first. If the man's uh, father was dead, uh, he wouldn't be along the roadway. He would be at home as a loyal son, organising the funeral for his father. Uh, The tradition in the day was that when somebody in the family uh, died, the sons would take responsibility for the funeral arrangements, the the body would be in the home, people would come and visit, tributes would be made, and the funeral would be arranged. That's what a son would do. And so what he's he's saying is, I I haven't got a funeral to organise. He's saying, "I I have other responsibilities, and I need to discharge those responsibilities first. And when I'm free of all those responsibilities, then I will serve you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The third one, <clears throat> I'm going to call this one the distracted. Verse 20, uh, 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my father. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is any use in the service of the kingdom of God. This is the distracted or the double-minded. I will follow you, Lord, Uh, But first, first let me go back and do something else. Jesus again looks beyond the words and sees the heart, sees the attitude of the heart. And I I think this is somebody who is is double-minded, who is distracted. And Jesus knows that if he uh, goes back and if he goes back into all the other things in his life, his, his family and his work and, and all that stuff, he will be distracted. He will be double-minded. All those things will come in and they will crowd out Jesus and they will crowd out Jesus' call upon his life. And Jesus says, if you look back, you're not uh, useful uh, for me in serving in my kingdom. Some of the translations say you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God, but the word there really is, is useful. Jesus is not just looking for converts. He's not just interested in, in uh, uh, chalking up numbers or keeping a scorecard. Jesus is looking for people whom he can use He's looking for people who will make a difference. He's looking for people who are going to do what he's been doing, proclaim the kingdom of God. He's looking for people who will share ministry with him, 
who will know his uh, call upon their lives, who will know his blessing and his grace, and will seek to share that with others. He's not looking for people who will just receive ministry, who will receive his mercy and his grace and his blessing. He's looking for people who will proclaim his ministry, who will proclaim his mercy and his grace and his blessing and his healing. He's looking for people who will be a blessing for others. And he knows those people can only be a blessing for others if they put him first. If they put him first and seek first his kingdom, as he said so many times, seek first his kingdom, that his kingdom might come. A plowman, as he goes along, plowing the field with the horse pulling ahead or the oxen pulling ahead, needs to keep a steady eye on what's ahead. If he's looking back, if he's looking over his shoulder, then they kind of go all over the place and the field uh, is, is no use. To be a disciple of Jesus is to have a, a, a focus upon Jesus. Uh, to look first to him. Lord, what is your will? What is your will in my life? What is your will in my relationships? What is your will in my workplace? What is your will in, in where I live? How are you calling to live? What is your desire for me? What do you want in this situation? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, to just close with this story. At this conference I was, I was at um, last few days, a man uh, shared his testimony. Uh, and he's called uh, uh, Justin. And uh, he, he talked about how um, he had been very successful um, in his job. Uh, was a stockbroker in London, earned a lot of money, and uh, had a really uh, you know, beautiful wife, uh, lovely children, nice house, life was, uh, life was going well, life was uh, fantastic. And uh, one day he's at home, he's in at home on his own, and uh, he's watching England uh, playing rugby. And he says, uh, he says I, you know, I, just, I don't know where the impulse came from, but I thought, I have a, I have a bet on this. I've never, never done it before, never made a bet before, but he thinks, oh, I, have a little, I have a flutter on this, and he bets five pounds on England uh, winning the rugby match. A few days later, another spotting event. He says, oh, I have another, I have another bet. I have another go. And it's another bet. And uh, over time, a, a kind of habit of uh, gambling develops, online gambling uh, develops. Before he knows it, he's hooked on online gambling, and the stakes are getting higher and higher and higher. And he's, he's, he's kind of addicted to the gambling because of the immediacy of it. You can place a bet, and then you can place another bet, and you can place um, another bet. And his, his losses start to uh, rack up. He, at one point, he sits down quite early on and he, he works out how much he'll need to spend to recover that which he's lost. And he realises he's going to have to spend £5,000 in gambling to recover the losses that he's made. So he has one big bet and he loses. And things kind of uh, cycle out of control. Um, the end of the story is that they, uh, him and his wife, they... Uh, they, they're moving, so they sell their house, they're about to buy another house, and he, uh, unknown to her, uses all of the money in their savings to try and win back the losses uh, that he has made. Um, ends up in a situation where he loses £750,000 in online gambling, loses his house, 
loses, loses everything. His wife, uh, his wife uh, leaves him, and as she goes out, she takes off her wedding ring, and she puts it on the, the table, and she walks out of the house and takes the kids with her. And he said, all of I could think of was, how much can I get for that wedding ring and so that I can, I can then kind of uh, gamble, really? Uh, mercifully, uh, he came to his senses. When he hit uh, rock bottom, came, came to his senses, uh, got some, uh, got some counselling, uh, got his life back together, uh, his wife came back to him, they made a fresh start, and uh, now he has another job, and he's working to uh, you know, pay back the, the debts that he owes, which are huge and uh, massive. One of the things that came through in the story was that he was a Christian at the start of all of this. So he was, he was a Christian on that Sunday afternoon when he's watching, uh, watching the rugby, and he thinks that he will have the first bet. And he's a Christian as things slowly start to spiral out of control. And when he hits rock bottom, he is, he's still a Christian. But it's only as he hits rock bottom that he kind of really kind of thinks, I really need uh, to sort this out. One of the questions, after, after he'd done his uh, talk, people were asked questions. One of the questions somebody said was, you, you, were, a, you were a Christian. How did this, how did you let this Happen. I mean, it's great that things have got back, but how could you let this happen? And he said, he said, I got distracted. I got distracted. He said, I remember one day I was taking the, I was taking the children, uh, the youngest child swimming, popped them in the car, got them in the car seat. I'd forgotten a towel. I went back in the house uh, to grab a towel, and I thought, I'll just have a, I'll just have a little bet. And I went to the computer and I put a quick bet on while I was getting them ready. And he said, two hours later, I realized I spent two hours just gambling online. I stubbed the towel on the desk and I went back out to the car. And my child was fast asleep in the car seat with kind of tears all down their face. I just left them in the car. And he said, I, I got distracted. And people said, what, what advice can you give to people in this same situation? They've got some kind of addiction or some issue. What advice uh, would you give? And he said, you have to draw a line. He said, you have to draw a line. He said, I, I have a mental image of a, of a rope. Close my eyes. And that, that day when I thought I've got to turn things around, I, I kind of had a mental image, mental picture of a rope. And I thought, this is the line. I am drawing a line under this. And then I started to move forward. He says, when I, when I get tempted, when I, when I stumble, when I find myself moving back into that pan." I close my eyes and I see that rope again and I draw, I go back to that line and I say, no, today, today, I'm going to start again. I'm going to make a new start. The third man in this story is a distracted man. Of course, there is nothing wrong with saying goodbye to his family, but Jesus sees a heart which is full of distractions. And Jesus calls all of us to draw a line under all of those things that would lead us astray from him. Mercifully, for, for most of us, for most people, they will not be things that will, that will get us into that crisis where we lose everything that we have. Mercifully, that won't be the case. 
But all of us know what it is like to stumble and to fall and to trip off or to be distracted and just go off track. Jesus says, if you're going to be useful for me, if you're going to be people who are going to bring the good news of me into this world, you need to be focused on me and following me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Loving Lord Jesus, we hear the call to follow and we are inspired and we are challenged. And Lord, our desire is to serve you and to put you first in all things, but we realise so often uh, we fall short. Um, we, we just, we're, not, we're not really focused, we're just, we're just going along. Or we're putting things off because we just think one day we'll get serious with you. Or we are simply distracted. But loving Lord, our desire is to welcome you into our lives and into our homes and to put you first in all things. And Lord, we pray that you'd show us what that means. You would help us, where appropriate, to to draw a line, to see a line in our heads and to come back to that line again and again when we fall and when we fail. We thank you that your call to follow is is not a hardship, but in following you is the, the way to eternal life, to joy and to peace and to blessing and the hope of heaven. So Lord, if we've stumbled or fallen, we pray that you would pull us back and draw us back to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.